Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is number 23 of the Between You and I podcast. Ryan and I are here. Um, and we today have a conversation with an old friend of mine who I adore. Um, it's Nils Bernstein. Um, he, I said today he was like a unicorn because he's actually from Seattle. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, he is like a pinnacle person who was there when I started to do music. And he is a deep, deep lover of music. He um, has been a part of a record store that was huge when I was coming up in music. He's been the VP of PR for Sub Pop. He's also been uh, worked for Matador. Like this is a person who lived and breathed music and he was so good with artists. And um, we were in Seattle together during the heyday of the grunge era and just the great Seattle that it was at the time um, that allowed us to hang out and in our 20s, you know, like in such a fun way. And I've always really loved him a lot. And it was so great to catch up with him. Um, there's a lot of history uh, in this episode around that era. And we just start to dabble into what he's doing now. And our audio got um, rough because he's down south in uh, Mexico right now. And so just hang in there, everybody, because there's if you can hear them, there's great tidbits. And we are actually going to part to this. Um, because Nils and I really wanted to get into life today um, and philosophies and questions and about it today and uh, how we are and how, what we think today. Um, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I adore him. And of course, we adore you guys. If you want, please subscribe. Um, if you have any comments, please let us know. And uh, I just hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the um, podcast. We are here with an old friend of mine, Nils Bernstein. And I've known you since, I was just thinking this, I've known you since um, 89, 88? I think, yeah, maybe 88. Whenever, did we meet in the uh, Pioneer Square apartment building? Yes. The Prudential building. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Yeah. So uh, probably 88 because I think it was right before I opened my record store. Yes. So because I remember you had all of your record racks in your apartment in the loft. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I was like those were, those were ones that I um salvaged from some record store that was moving or closing because the ones in my store I built for the store. And when I met you, it was before I had my store. So those were ones that we like took from the alley of a record store that was closing at some point. Oh, see, that's the cool Seattle where you're like, I don't know. I found some shit. I put it together and there you go. Because I can. <laughs> yeah, you can't really do that anymore. To find a, you can't really find an empty lot in Seattle anymore. No. Yeah. Valuable items. It's not the same Seattle. And isn't that a trip as you go on in the years? Like, um, oh I'll space out on time and just be like, whoa, okay, it's been, you know, whatever. 30, 30 years passing means what in my mind? And like, yeah. um, what, what I find funny about Seattle is the, like, I don't even know, you know, you can talk about the traffic and the development and whatever, but I don't even know where I am when I'm standing on a corner because there's no visual references. So I'll be on, you know, downtown or wherever, 
And I literally don't, I can't look around and figure out where I am because nothing is, is old, you know, nothing looks like it did 30 years ago. Right. Well, and that's crazy to me because you grew up in Seattle. No worries. <laughs> We've all got the same alarm. I love that. It's my, uh, it was my reminder that I have a podcast to do. <laughs> you're now it's like, you're there. You're yeah. doing it. Um, um, yeah, I, I grew up on Broadway, basically. I grew up on the uh, on the north end of Broadway. Which is wild. I mean, yeah. I was thinking, you're like a unicorn. You're actually from Seattle. <laughs> well, and, funny, growing up, everybody was from Seattle that was in Seattle. And now it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and your family has, like deep history into music as well like your didn't your dad like mm-hmm. he ran a really famous like night or booked at it you rem- remind yeah. me yeah kind of he he opened the harvard exit theater what? In, uh, in the late 60s so that was like the first kind of art house theater in seattle um and he had that until the late 70s and then after that he kind of bounced around. A lot of his friends were in music. His friends were people who started Bumbershoot and had venues and things like that. So he, um, you know, he opened a, a place called the Eagles Hippodrome, which had been a venue in the late 60s that he kind of reopened and they put on like, you know, new wave shows and stuff like that, uh, kind of 82, 83. And he wasn't really like a music guy. He was a movie guy, but all his friends were in it and he liked doing a venue. So... He was kind of in that world in the early 80s a little bit. I love that. I did not know that he had opened up the Harvard Exit. For people maybe listening who don't know, the Harvard Exit was this really cool theater at the north end of Seattle. And I love that street. It's by Cornish College. It's closed Mm -hmm. now, but um, I love that um, set, that street right there, like the Harvard Exit and the cafe across the street. And then there's like what the Daughters of the Revolution Uh Hall, blah blah blah. Um, so it's was a, you're right, a really well known like art theater place. I've had friends who've gotten married in there. Oh yeah, um, all and kinds it was of stuff. Like, you know, Capitol Hill in the '70s and '80s was a real, you know, kind of center for creative people and the arts and freaks and whatever. And so, it, and the Harvard Exit in the '70s was a real, you know, hangout for those kind of people and he used to have bands play before movies and the lobby at the Harvard exit had was a whole scene unto itself. And so I, I grew up in that. I used to like play piano in the lobby of the Harvard exit as people were coming in to see movies and stuff like that. It was like cinema. but See, I didn't know that either. That is so cool. Um, I mean, you've always been someone who was like, when I, you know, when I met you, like just, music like steeped in it um i mean that's really that was really your passion still is probably you know like um yeah so when i met you in a we had moved my friend um ali and i and i think uh samara koi became Mm -hmm. our um roommate we lived above you and it was you and jeff haywood and roderick Uh from sky cries mary (laughs) yeah i think it was it was hamish chapel I think Hamish moved out and Roderick moved in, mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I remember a friend from, I think a friend from, I think it was Kurt Danielson from TAD. And he was like, hey, you know, I met your new roommate because I hadn't met Roderick yet. Jeff knew him, but I didn't know him. 
He's like, yeah, we did a show with him or he played a show with him or something. And he was writhing around naked wrapped in colored cellophane. <laughs> like, are you sure you want him to move in? I was like, oh, oh yes. I mean, <laughs> even more now. But. And that's so you. You're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes please. Much. I know. Um, well, okay. Here's how small Seattle is. So, like, I went to the University of Washington and I knew who Roderick was then, right? But then he was like, he's also from Seattle or north of seattle or just like fancy neighborhood and he was going to the uw and he was like a skater kid then like Mm -hmm. with like california skater dude and then later so in 86 i went over to france to go to school and frankly to learn how to speak french so i was just waiting for everybody to leave and that was when roderick had started um the sky Christ Mary with the posies and had mm-hmm. done the grinder cease. And then he went over, he was going over to go to the Jacques Lecoq, like my school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so him and I met up there just as friends. Like I was living in Nantes and he came down to hang out. And I mean, I always just admired, I always admired his massive creativity, like down to yeah. his journals and mm-hmm. his like, um, persistence and and drive. I mean, I remember asking him, like, well, how did you even get there? And he's like, well, you know, if you poke things like 20 times, something's going to bite, you know, and yeah. I never forgot that. Um, and so I mean, he had a French, you know, his first the first record came out on New Rose in France, which was a really legit label. Like he had a good French record deal before anything happened in Seattle or really before anybody in Seattle had a record deal. I mean, right? Yeah, I don't. I yeah, just he, don't he believes that it can happen, and yes. and really manifests it. I mean, I never, you know, I don't. It's funny because I don't. In my mind, I don't go for a kind of new agey talk, but but I do because I think about it all the time and I kind of live it. And he's yes. somebody that, oh my god, absolutely, affirmations and manifestation. He's somebody that has made unbelievable things happen in his life just by by virtue of saying well why not me exactly and well that's just giving me shivers um Mm -hmm. because i'm i'm the same as you like i probably embody i talk about it more now but i have always lived by intuition even from leaving the tri-cities to go to the uw and it's not really about um oh i'm thinking things to death how will i do it it's more like I would like that. I'm going to go there. And frankly, there's not a lot of thought. It's just yeah. Yeah. too much thinking's bad, you know, like. Yeah. It's um, also moving forward. You know, it's just taking any step forward will lead you somewhere. Yes. So you don't have to have the whole thing mapped out. You just need to be in motion at, at yeah. any given time. Yes. I even thought that this morning because I'm sort of um, I'm dipping my toe. Well, I'm dipping my whole body into it nowadays, um, like really recognizing and living it way more out loud. And I just thought um, for things I'm doing right now, even this podcast, I was like, you know, we live lives. We're like, oh, maybe I'm tired today. And I was like, I totally thought that I was like, well, you can't get anything new unless you move forward and do something right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the conversation with you will bring up things that wouldn't if you just sat in your house by yourself, you know? So when I heard your conversation with Deja, I was like, Oh, that'll be nice to have their voices in my room, you know, but it actually, it, it was quite inspirational and unexpectedly, you know, just, I don't know, just cause it was a conversation that I didn't expect to be listening in on. Yeah. Well, and these days at this age, especially uh, I'm, 
probably due to like, you know, once you've had enough things happen to you, you're just sort of like, fuck it. <laughs> like, I got to go yeah. be myself. And yeah. I, I need to say it out loud way more often. It's not it's who I've always been. But now I'm more capable of saying out loud. And, and especially with the coaching I'm doing right now, like yeah. it basically embodies who I am. And so it's and it's intuitive, right? So yeah. I, I'm way out there with people. And funny enough, just like not thinking, not thinking about what I'm saying. I'm like, no, this is a real thing. This if if I have an intuitive hit, or I talk about synchronicity, or these are my beliefs. Yeah. Um, and just saying that way more out loud, completely out loud. Um, but what's really cool is all, all so many friends like yourself. Um, we're all like in a more open space and so the conversations are fantastic mm -hmm. to me like oh my god this is the best um, yeah. <laughs> um okay so like so when you were living there so i lived above this is like before Hammerbox, right? It was when yeah. I dipped my toe into Hammerbox. So I just remember living above, like Roderick's room was below mine and it was all I could smell was incense, like all the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> like literally like through, you know, thick ceilings and floors, you could still smell the incense. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, it was, it was wild. But that's, I think that's really fun though. Another thing about Seattle at the time is just being able to do stuff like that. Like, oh, I lived in yeah. a loft downtown. Yeah, I mean, we had a, you know, it was a nice, large loft for at the time it was you know a lot of money but really wasn't a lot of money i think we were right. paying you know for the three of us paying 700 or 900 exactly. and um and you know living in a in downtown and near the central and other places that were having shows and we could hang out with you guys we could have parties and we could you know there was so much like daily interaction with creative people because creative people could live in downtown Seattle. Exactly. And remember, like the apartment we had was Charles Peterson's loft. That's right. Yeah. Right. So when we yeah, moved that's in. Right. That's right. You guys moved in when he moved out. Yeah. Did you overlap at all? No. Okay. I, it was like you and Elise and Samara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Charles had, so I was at the UW and I was actually a photography student. So mm -hmm. I love, we, again, synchronicity, like we walk in, it's not only a loft, but he's built a dark room yeah. in the living room. And I was like, do, 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 you know, like, wow. Um, so yeah. So Samara had her room, like literally a loft space above the dark room. And then right. um, Allie and I were in the back um, because people would build, right? Like those open kind of. Uh, yeah, my loft. Maybe he, maybe he did Samara's after mine. But Danny Blossom from Feast and various bands built my loft in our space. Right on. And See, I think either either Charles got us the apartment or we got him his. I forget how we moved in there. But I mean, you know, it was all. It's not even, you know, five degrees. It's like one degree between everybody. Yes. See, and I love that. And like going down Western to the, remember the Western Cafe and yeah. around the corner. So, you know, in this day and age, I'm always telling people like, I'm so grateful I got to experience Seattle in the time that I did. Like, I'm so, yeah. I like, I got to, um, I, you know, we got to be an artist and yeah. live there and have your own apartment and things like that. When I say that to people who've like just moved here, they're like, what? That's and no I was possibility like, no. now, but yeah. Yeah. No, you could have a, I mean, you could live in a nice place. You could have your, you know, own room, whatever. <laughs> right. you could have 
Um, you could have a practice space, you know, people in, in, you know, South Seattle and Georgetown have beautiful practice spaces right. or in Ballard or wherever you could, um, you could go to shows almost every day. You could have, you know, dollar pints of beer for happy hour. You could, I mean, you could really live, uh, you could commit your time to doing something creative without being drained of all money and energy and life force, you know? Yes, is, it was exactly. Yeah, it's why we need to bring uh, universal income back, or we never had it. We should have it. <laughs> yeah, or just I don't know something. I don't know how to. Yes, yeah. at this point, but it was so much fun. Like it, I love, yeah. I, I love being of that age and having things at your fingertips, and it's whatever you made of it, right? Like you could yeah. go make anything. And Nils, you're so enmeshed in my mind in my um, musical history. Like I've mm-hmm. literally said. Almost on any podcast I've been on, they were like, well, how did Hammerbox get started? And I was like, well, there's the story of, again, synchronicity. I'm telling you. I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. Uh, when I got back from France, probably the hardest thing I've ever done, learn a language, right? Uh, Came back and I was like, well, since you've done that, what else might you want to do? And I'd grown up singing. I loved singing. It was Mm -hmm. choir. I mean, I never thought of being in a band because in the Tri-Cities, especially as a female where were you going to go? Like, you know, this hardcore punk was there. You know, my brother was doing that, but that's not me. I was more of a new wave baby. And so it just never crossed my mind there. But when I got to Seattle, it was all around and Mm. the rocket was uh, going strong. And so I just looked in the back of that page. Literally the first ad I answer was Dave and James. Yeah, that's amazing. That kind of stuff. But I remember as I tell people the story, I was like, well, yeah, we got together. There's that story. But okay, so starting with Jeff Haywood introduced us to Harris. Like, that's why we have Harris is because of Jeff. He was like, yeah, I got this friend from Eugene. Like, (laughs) I never quite understood how Harris hooked up with you and David James. Yeah, Jeff. Because I knew he went to he went to school in Oregon and came up. Okay, from Jeff. That makes sense. Isn't that crazy? I I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Jeff had said that. So we met Harris. And then as we got practicing, I remember we played like our first show, at, like the Gilman street station which was like in between mm-hmm. uh, Queen Anne and Magnolia. It doesn't like, doesn't yeah. exist. Um, but then the second show, which really felt like the debut show was mm-hmm. at the Oxford. Oxford. Yeah. Yeah. And I always tell people, I was like, <laughs> like, dude. And I say, dude, that show to me, and I remember saying so, I was like, this show is going to make us or break us. And I was like, because Nils is coming. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, I was like, you're going to be there, everybody. And I literally said to Harris, I was like, if we suck, we're done. Like, That's if they so don't cute. like us. I'm sure I like stumbled in drunk, like, you know, <laughs> like, no help at all. But, but no, I, I actually, it's funny that, that you even remember that at all, because I remember it really clearly. And I don't remember much. I remember general things, you know, but I don't remember. People always say, like, remember that band played and their third song was blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know. But, but I remember that really well, because I didn't know. I mean, I remember when you said, like, you were going to like, you know, try out for a band or be in a band or you like singing. I was like, well, that's cool. I didn't know that, you know, like, who knows? Um, and uh, and you're playing a show. I was like, well, amazing. Like Carrie's playing a show at the Oxford, you know, wow. Okay, let's go. And I remember being scared. I was like, well, what if they're not good? Right. Like, shit. I just, you know, you assume that all your friends are the best at what they do. Right. Which 
over time turns out to maybe not be the best assumption. <laughs> Even though you, have, you have fondness for them, but you know, and what they're doing, but it, you know, when you look at it objectively, so I was so excited, like, oh my God, we all have to go. That's so great. Come on. And then I was like, oh no, you know, what if they're not good? Then what do we do? And right away, I remember like there was a song that I can still do in my head. I'm not going to sing it or whatever, but it was never, it wasn't on an album or a single or anything. Hmm. And you started singing it. And I was like, oh, what a relief. Oh my God. It's like first it was relief. And then it was like, holy shit, they're like good, good. Like they're not good enough or this show's going to be fun or they fit in with what we're into. It was like, oh, they're actually like good music. She's a great singer. And it, it wasn't just like the quality of your voice, but actually how you were pushing through what they were doing. And, uh, and I, I remember the show really clearly and more than anything, a, a sense of relief that like, wow, yeah. Karen's actually in a, a really great band. And also that it was, it was really um, fully realized yeah. in a way that it shouldn't have been being your second show. Yeah. Well, I, I give that to like the band itself. I mean, Dave and James and Harris were all serious. Like um, they, even at that time felt the pressure actively mm-hmm. about we, we have to be good. Yeah. And what, what I find interesting about that is that didn't hinder what we wrote. Like we did not in any way go, well, who sounds good? We should sound like that ever. Right. Like that, that never yeah. came into it, but whatever we were going to do, I guess at least in our eyes had to be good. I don't know. Yeah. Well, a lot of people weren't like that. They just wanted to be in a band and they had cool friends and they knew they could get shows and, and it was fun. And maybe they would get good eventually or, you know, but they right. weren't thinking in terms of like, of, of quality and execution and, and, you know, how are we going to, they kind of figured it out as they went. Right. Yeah. I not, I mean, Harris had his own style. That was true, right? Like he actively yeah. put, you know, here's what I'm going to use all these, you know, components and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I know Dave comes from a lineage of music and, and James was always passionate. Like music yeah. was his heart, you know? And so, that combination of people were just automatically serious about it, like, you know, serious about it. And I secretly really enjoy um, excellence. Um, mm-hmm. Like on the inside, I like I respond to good teachers that way, like yeah. good teachers at the UW who were just inquisitive and smart, um, not pretentious, right? Like not yeah. condescending or percent, but, but fascinating people. Um, and just the game of, seeing what you can get is fun to me. Like, yeah. not because my ego needs it, but it's just kind of fun. Like, well, if we, you know, if we play, they've got 500 people, we've got 500 people, that makes a thousand. Let's do, you know, like I kind of get oh. off on that. But it's, it's, a, it's a thing that doesn't always reconcile well with like punk rock scenes or indie music scenes or whatever, because you're, you're, you're kind of going for a, an atmosphere or a sense of fun or a sense of community that isn't, it's all these other things that exist around the music. And like, you know, your brother's kind of a good example. Like he's kind of a nerdy drummer, you know, he's really, really technically talented, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not always evident in the bands he's been in. He's been in some unbelievably great bands, and he's been in some crappy bands. Um, but it, 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 what they're doing as a band, a lot of the bands he's been in, aren't about the technical proficiency of him and the other musicians. It's about some kind of different, not that, I mean, that yeah. what, what you do or whatever is about technical proficiency, but they're not necessarily thinking about, about, excellence in musical you know right experience. they're thinking about okay how is this going to fit into this environment that we're performing in right so you know it's interesting when like with hammerbox where there was an uh, element of it that was very aggressive and ramshackle and wild and pushing each other and and but also an element that was very tuneful and composed and thought out and structured and it was interesting that kind of it was like you know when i say like oh my god they're great and i was like oh they're actually like good <laughs> you know, they're not just like you know fun and awesome this could be a fun yeah. stuff. and um and it's interesting and that's not always something that that bodes well for success mm-hmm. true so, yeah true i mean all those milestones i mean as you learn along the way you know, in the music industry and you've been steeped in the music industry. Um, it's interesting. Well, like at that time at 21 or not 21, 23, um, like that's nothing we ever said out loud. Right. Cause, right. cause we're, why we were 23, right? Like we're, we're also terrified um, and we're new at it and we just know that much, like let's be good at it and we yeah. care, but nobody's talking about it or being pretentious about it. It's just a way and it's hard to have goals, you know, like you're yeah. saying, I'm not even going to bother being in a band in the Tri-Cities because what's going to happen? And you don't, when you're playing a show at, you know, at the Oxford, you're not thinking in terms of how is this going to set me up for a career in music? You're just trying to get through the week, you know? And yeah. Well, and that's why I think like sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? Like it's the good mm-hmm. thing. You don't even know any better. So all your goals can be is this this goal right like it's just we got to show at the oxford and nils and everybody showing up like yay that was as far as we thought like yeah. you know and then the next as other things start to happen you then you see more things you could do and you just start building yeah. your right and it, you know when the whole um when the whole like grunge era exploded too then there was like a wave people could ride on you know structure yeah. sh- structure revealed itself like i didn't mm-hmm. know anything about the how the music industry or how things, uh, how people got signed. And so, so you're, it's kind of precarious having to learn as you go. I've, um, somebody said, actually, when we got signed to A&M records, we were talking about, that's when kind of weird stuff starts to happen. Like someone wants to work with me about my stage presence. So they hire some dance trainer, you know, or, um, I know just crazy things. Um, but also someone said something to me that really was helpful. They were like, what's hard, I mean, because it was scary for me. Um, they're like, well, what's hard is that, like, for instance, dancers go and practice and then they do a show. And they're like, you're having to learn everything in front of people. Right. So you don't know who you are. So you're trying to figure it out in front of an audience, which is right. like, stressful. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, you know, there's something funny about um, what, what I imagine it's like to be a lead singer in a band I think it's different from what the audience perceives the lead singer to be. I think they think a lead singer is is absolutely in control of everything. They write all the songs. They 
they tell the band what to do, that they're really, you know, kind of steering the ship. And if anyone is learning anything as they go, it's the rest of the band. There's this assumption that the lead singer is going into it with this level of knowledge and expertise and whatever. And it's, I mean, I imagine not necessarily the case. (laughs) Surely. Yeah, because look, who I was was a girl from the Tri-Cities. That was literally, and and frankly, shy. Like, I didn't, really, at the time, super introverted. I think I'd spent my whole life kind of being a loner and watching people, not the center of attention. But there was something about getting on stage and singing where I was a whole other world I very easily could go to. Like, that was not a problem. I don't know why. Um, But the rest of it, like, moving on stage or, um, I don't know, navigating any of it, even the scene, like, I was super sensitive. Just, I mean, that's just who I am. But I also was it was so fast that I yeah. didn't get, I didn't ever, I was just kind of coping and handling and trying to have fun at the same time, but you're, it's yeah. a little bit wild. Um, well, you also need to need to move forward. You know, bands are, by the time you put a record out, those are old songs and you're, you need to write new songs at some point. So you're, you're having to kind of cope with what's in the present, but also work toward the future. And yeah. You know, I, I mean, that's hard to do because you're trying to imagine what your future is going to be and right. what, how people, you know, I think that's why people's second records are always weird is because they're kind of writing in this weird uh, perspective of like trying to imagine what they're supposed to do and not really knowing. Mm-hmm. Well, and having some uh, often the pressure behind you. Now, new pressures, right? Especially if you've gotten yeah. signed. It's like, well, you need to When you're, you know, at the time you're writing songs that would end up on somebody's first record, there's no pressure. So it's the first song right. you wrote. Yes. So it's the first time you're feeling pressure. And it's, I can't imagine. I mean, the whole thing seems yeah. so weird to me. But, yeah. you know, I've, always, I've spent my whole life around bands, but never been in a band. So it's always, uh-huh. you know, it's like, I feel like I know it really well, but I don't know it at all. Right. Well, I think you're in you. That's such a natural part of you um, to be like right up next to music as a lover mm-hmm. of the art yeah. form and the people like yeah. you're so amazing with people by nature, um, like just comfortable. Like really, that was I mean, yeah. that was like one of your superpowers to me was like, uh, which I thought was your natural fascination and interest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, when I open my score just to back. Yeah. on me for a second please let's talk about me for a second i would uh, love to but just <laughs> where we're at when my dad sold the harvard exit he had he was living in his car or whatever but he he set aside money that would pay for our like his uh uh what do you call it when you you know like child support mm-hmm. um and then when we turned 18 we each got six thousand uh-huh. dollars and so i remember okay well if I get $6,000, I'm either going to start a label, a zine, or a record store. And, of course, in Seattle, you could start a record store with $6,000. My, my rent at the store when I opened it was was uh, $240, oh. and I lived in it because there was a bathroom and a shower. Oh. Right. So, and then later, Roderick, because I, when I opened it and moved out of – are the building we lived in then Roderick moved in so I was living in my record store with Roderick and, and then I moved in with you and we lived in on Capitol Hill but um, 
but yeah, so I, you know, but that was my thing is I was like 18, like there was no question. I had a tiny bit of money. I need to do something as close to music as I can be. Yeah. And at least the record store felt like I can support music and be with other music people all day, every day. Wow. And then quickly I went to work for Sub Pop, which overlapped with yeah. my store for a while. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, for me, it was like, well, if I'm not going to be in a band, I need to do something that's where I'm with musicians and music on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, you're super unique to me in the way I always admired one, I think, well, for many good reasons, but being shy, I always was like, God, he's so comfortable. You know, I have horrible um, anxiety and panic. So okay. uh, that started um, when I was around 18 after uh, many years of doing a lot of drugs. And um, the, uh, so it's funny that I love hearing that because I'm actually, you know, totally paralyzed with anxiety and panic attacks. Oh, my God. Well, and now having had panic and chronic panic, uh, I, I'm sorry. Oh, I wish I'd known that. <laughs> it's a nightmare. But it's that same thing where you have to just do something. You have to oh. move forward in some way or achieve yeah. something or get over something. Like, not that there's certainly no way to just, quote, unquote, get over anxiety or panic by, right. you know, through sheer will. But but at least you can do something where you don't feel paralyzed by yeah. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I was like, well, I, I like people a lot. So at least I can, it doesn't make me, you know, I'm not, my anxiety doesn't revolve around social scenarios necessarily. So okay. it's like you find your confidence where you can find it. Kind of, I guess. That's a good well, point. You know, on stage, like you were saying, it's shocking to me and probably to a lot of people who watch you on stage to hear you say you're shy because you're one of the least shy performers mm-hmm. there is, but it's different being on stage and not being on stage. Yeah. There's something about it being a safe tunnel to me mm-hmm. one and, and I'm doing something I can do and I know I do it well. Right. 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 And with me, when I'm around people, it's easier than not being around people. I get more anxious if I'm alone okay. than being with people. Okay. I totally right. Ideas, whatever that's safe place yeah. is what was the name of your record store rebellious jukebox that's right yeah yeah so i love that the fall and it was the first song on the first fall album so i was like well i don't know whatever sounds good that's perfection that's perfection i love that well so other ways that you're tied in just because now you mentioned i was like oh yeah that i was like because we're doing the hammer box timeline like before going too far forward and when your first single came out it was like they have a record you know this is great and um and that was still before people were really getting signed and stuff you know people were getting signed to sub pop but so it was um so I remember really pushing that first single yeah, and yeah. I would always play it because the song kept house for anybody listening, hopefully has heard it or whatever. Oh, it's yeah. a pretty ballsy first song to put out there. And it was perfect on a single because the B side was after all, which was a uh-huh. great contrast to uh-huh. kept house. But I'd always put kept house on when, when people came in because it was so in your face and lyrically intense. And, and it was, I sold like, I think a hundred copies of that single just from putting it on. Oh, wow. in the yeah. 
Oh, wow. That's so awesome. Yeah. What a weird yeah. song. Like, Kept does is such a, and I, like, I got a little bit of French in there. Like, that was my connection oh, to French. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I don't know who I am. I'm just going to be weird, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, like, convey intensity and, you know, like, oh! yeah. Yeah. And your first writing, I mean, what I love about, I mean, that journey is as I go look back and I'm like, oh, you had thoughts and you were writing about them. Like, that's cool to engage in or do it all. Um, and so, like, all the songs, you know, obviously had a thought or emotion behind them. It wasn't sort of like, I'm going to write a rock song and be like, you know. Um, right. I mean, that whole song. The idea of supporting a band, you know, that like, yes. band is doing this, and there's these guys who are really into what they're doing. And I, I'm the singer, so I better just keep up and come up with something. It never felt like that. It always felt like, you know, you were really – coming through, you know, that it was really four instruments. Because Hammerbox is kind of a hard band to to separate out. Like, everybody had a lot of personality in there as people, but in their playing. So, yeah. you know, it, it really felt like four instruments kind of, like, pushing at each other, you know, really yeah. pushing <laughs> each other forward instead of a couple people supporting uh, a real dealy 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 guitar player or something, you know. Yeah. It was it felt more equal. Oh, that's that's well said. Yeah, and that's very true. I mean, Dave was from Kentucky, James from Tennessee, I'm from the Tri Cities, and you know, none of us knew each other. But all, I swear to God, yeah. any band I've ever had is just a group of people who don't know each other at all. Like maybe on purpose. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> but that can make that's an experiment, right? That could be good or bad. You kind of take a chance on that. Um, uh, and yeah, it was very four distinct personalities with one common goal, but that, that, that ends up being really hard to sustain. You know, there's like the five-year marker. Um, right. That makes sense. I, I, yeah. I, you don't want, like, maybe you don't always want four strong personalities in a four-person band. No. It's, a, it's just musically difficult to keep up with. There's a lot going on yeah. in every song. Well, and you're young. So you're also then still growing. And so if one person wants to grow and the other person wants to go, that's when the tension really starts or you've got egos, um, ideas and, you know, ideas at the time are like, no, this is the truth or whatever that is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember, okay, more reasons you're entwined in my history to me is like, you named my dancing on stage. Like, I've seen that in hype. I've seen it. You, to me, said, like, it's like you're doing this birthing dance. Right, and right, I was, right. I've seen that everywhere. That's so funny. I didn't. I don't even know that I did that. I think I must yeah. have just said it. And then yeah. not even knowing. Yeah. I loved it. I was like, oh, you know, like, um, so, and then, yeah, we lived on well, Gaylor. You touch your body. And it was like, oh, my God, it felt so powerful because it was like, you were you were acknowledging what was happening, you know. It was like <laughs> you, were, you were really, you know, you're such a physical performer, and it was like it was like, a, you know, like at the end of a cardio class when you put you know hand on hearts, you know, like the, the kind of uh, let's you know honor the body, and you're kind of doing that while you're you're punishing your body and honoring it at the same time. So I really like that motion of touching your your chest and stomach while you're performing, it was like, it'll be okay. You know, like, totally. I'm going to completely fuck with you and push you, but it's going to be okay. 
oh my God, that is like the best I've ever heard it said. Cause that is absolutely <laughs> fucking true. I'll be like, okay, we're going like, here we go. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's absolutely. And for women, especially like your solar plexus, your belly, your heart, like that is your power right. center. That's <laughs> and your calming center. And so, yeah, I was surprised. I didn't like kind of just rock on stage. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Right, right. Which some people do, you know. Yeah. It's well, it's a lot of energy coming at you. Um, and it's uh you're trying to do your thing in front of people, which is a lot of energy. It's really hard to stay grounded and deliver. Um, not only just deliver and like do it correctly or whatever, but then like actually give something extra. Right. Like have something to say or like remember your why or, you know, something deeper in there than just like we played all the shows and it was crazy. We're done. You know, like another, you know, a lot of people talk about like performers will talk about the exchange of energy with the audience, but they don't really talk about it in that way where it's like it's intense. It's like it's energy coming at you that you may not even want or, you know, you want it, but you don't. It's hard to deal with. And you know, you like me, I like you, yippee. But it's right. actually be quite hard to deal with, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, especially, not especially, but as a woman, there's extra mm-hmm. surprises yeah. coming at you sometimes that are violent or angry or rude or yeah. um, there's lots of love. I mean, I, I feel like I've always had a lot of love and then it depends on where you go. Like people who right. don't know you're whatever, you're just the woman in front of them and there's tons of awful things right, that right. Get said at you and things like that. But right. that's what I find funny too, is like in um, getting into and in, cause bands are about playing the music and then do performing in front of people and then you go on tour. Right. And so I realize, you know, in the last like 10 years, like there's a lot of me having to heal up a lot of enduring like, cause right. you get, cause you're going like, you just, it's ha- everything's happening fast. You're in front of people. So you get in kind of an endurance stance, not that people could right, see it, right. but internally you're just like, um, and then at some point that's got to unravel just like, well, and even, even loving energy is something to deal with. You're still, yeah. it's still energy coming at you that you have to respond to in some way. So it's not like, I don't mean that it's so much negative, mm-hmm. but just, just the experience of performing to a crowd is a lot of energy coming at you. Even if it's positive, it's intense. So that endurance thing is funny because I, when I go on tour with bands, I can't take more than three days. Like, and I'm not even performing and it's like too much for me. You know, it's like, get me out of this, you know, I need a drink after that sound check. You know, it's like, I, so I can't imagine that thing where you're, you're, I, I, I know that from, you know, mm-hmm. 30 years of seeing bands on tour and being with bands on tour, you're, it's like you're tensed up this, you know, defensive, like your body is the, the normal state of your body is this kind of tension. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You get into a coping state, whether it looks like yeah. it or not, like, you know, and you develop your way because you know, there's going to be more of it. You just gear up. And right. so that like sets a, a marker in your person to just go, well, this is what you do. And it entails this. So you got to gear up and how will you be enduring? And um, I mean that, yeah, like you're saying like that wears and tears on you. And I didn't find, I, uh, I did not find touring exciting again. Like ultimately I'm 
at the time, especially in Hammerbox, a pretty shy person. So, and one girl alone, right? Like um, in a band where everybody didn't hang out together. Like Mm -hmm. I think Dave and James or Harris might used to hang out, but I didn't. And so I was alone a lot of the time. And so, I mean, I love to travel and I'm adventurous or whatever, but I usually am in control of how I'm doing that. Yeah. And on tour, it was like, well, you've opted for the every day in a bar, dark places. Yeah, you're going to what you know what I mean? Like you've chosen yeah. this environment to go like yeah. travel in. And it's like, yeah, I, w- I probably wouldn't choose that on my own. <laughs> yeah. And even, you know, the, the moment on stage, you can have these incredible experiences that are, are so positive with mm-hmm. with fans and with the actual performing. But that's one out of 24 hours of every day. Totally dead on. Um, I had a friend who was an actor who quit acting. And I was like, well, why'd you quit acting? He said, because I realized I was putting up with 95% bullshit for 20 minutes on stage. Right. And he goes, and believe me, that 20 minutes kept me in there for a long time. And I was like, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that makes wow. a lot of sense to me. So I, you know, it's funny that when I think back on the Seattle music scene and really that era in general, And I think about, you know, obviously we think about diversity and inclusion in different ways now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, At the time, you know, my experience in it was as a gay person. So I was like, well, that's, you know, it's weird because there are no gay people, but that's cool because they're not homophobic and I can pass as straight when I need to. So it's fine. And so I... (laughs) Now I think about what it was for women or black people or whatever in the scene at the time. And it's interesting because I didn't, I was like, you know, well, Terry must be psyched because the <laughs> guys in her band are so cool and everyone in the scene is so cool. So it's not weird being a woman like it might be in other cities. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, and people have asked me sort of about that too. I mean, I never really, I mean, I, Never in my life have I really thought about myself as a gender, right? Like, I don't go gender first. I'm not girly. I was never girly, girly. I was never that. So I was really just more loner-ish, right? So Mm -hmm. in my mind, I just never thought about my gender until something obvious came up. And I was, I'm super boring, pragmatic in the way when something comes up, I'm like, no, yeah, that thing. (laughs) You know, like, it's no surprise to me. It's for everything. There's so many classic things that happen. So I kind of was never surprised because I was like, oh, that's so classic. Um, Yeah. But later, what struck me was um, the lack of friend circle, like girls. Like, I didn't have girlfriend circles at all. I had boyfriends, you know? Um, Like, my boyfriends were, quote, unquote, my best friends. They were the people I just was always with. That was my partner. Right. Right. Um, But I didn't, in that scene, also, it was so masculine. Even the girl, the girl side of it was so tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not me either. I'm seriously way more of a new wave baby, like Cocteau twins, Susie, whatever. And nobody was fucking into that. (laughs) (laughs) You probably weren't into it. (laughs) It wasn't what they were, it wasn't evident that they were into it. No. No. So I took and played with what was available. <laughs> it was just sort of like, well, right. this is happening. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, but it's so interesting. I I also love that era, too. Yeah, we ended up living in a house on Gaylor Street mm-hmm. um, at the by Volunteer Park with Laura, mm-hmm. who was Harris's girlfriend. And Charles lived there as well, Peterson. Yeah. Um, and so I just love that, too. Just easy to, like, 
everyone's kind of in it together. Talk, talk to me about like, what did you, I mean, it was a small town. Didn't you feel like then like lots of everybody knew everybody. And when you went to go work for sub pop, was that like a natural, like yourself, even like you, you, you did like the record store and you knew bands. Like I loved it blew me away when you're like, oh, yeah, I know the throwing muses. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, Because, like, again, new wave to me, like throwing muses were in there for me. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, Christian. But um, was it a natural transition to then go be like the head of PR for Sub Pop where you're like, oh, yeah, this is. I think so. I think I, I when I have my store, I also had been writing like I wrote for like Option and okay. Magazine and Spin even like when I was in high school. And oh, so wow. while I had my store, I was also doing music writing. And so when and, and I always was knew the Sub Pop people because it was, you know, when Sub Pop formed, it was like, well, let's how are we going to have a record label in Seattle? So there was a lot of people involved in those conversations that weren't employees of Subox. There wasn't even a company to be an employee of. It was just Bruce and John talking to local friends about how do we do this? You know, well, Charles takes pictures. Um, Jane from Feast does graphic design. Um, Men had a lot of ideas about marketing and merch. And um, it was like figuring out who could help with things. So I remember being involved in conversations with them and at some point, their publicist, who is Jenny Body, left. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I know how publicity works because I write for magazines. So I knew that process. So I think I'd already started helping them with retail promotion, which I also knew because I owned a store. Yeah. Um, and so shortly after that, yeah, Jenny left. And I was like, well, I could do publicity because I know how that game works. And I like that. I like magazines. I like spreading the word about bands that love so it felt natural so i and just the store wasn't really a job it was barely keeping the doors open so the idea of having a salary however meager it was at the time was appealing so it um so yeah i closed my store and went to work for sub pop full-time doing publicity which was great because it was it was promoting bands that i loved and then working with writers whose job, it's a bit different now where people are more content providers than journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. People who are able to cover music. But at the time, it was people who really loved music who, and they were, there was a lot of music publications at the time, which mm-hmm. there isn't anymore so much, and um, who wanted to review and interview bands. So yeah. it's like, well, great. I would love to facilitate that for you. I'd love to introduce you to some terrific new new groups. Um, uh, so yeah, I really yeah, loved it. I thought, yeah, doing press for Sub Pop was awesome. I loved working for yeah. uh, with the people who worked there and the bands were yeah. great. I mean that's like a match made in heaven. That's so natural. Yeah, like- and it was people that were from my, you know, the bands and the owners and the employees, everybody was of my world. Um yeah. And yeah, it was amazing. Loved it. Yeah. That, I thought that was really cool. And then you like, so when did you move to New York? What year? 90, beginning of 97. Okay. Okay. And by that time I was in good, goodness, like, you know, Hammerbox yeah, kind of had it. Record, yeah. Your first record had come out, but your second record and your major label stuff hadn't happened yet. I think. Okay. I 
Okay. And it was still, I mean, Seattle was still like big, you know what I mean? It was still, it was heading towards the end of it. I feel like 2000 was really starts to, um, but so what, what made you decide to go, Oh, I need something new and I'm going to go to New York. Well, I let sub pop was changing a lot. Um, with, uh, they signed a deal with a major label that had, uh, majority control. So there was a lot more involvement with them than other times that Sub Pop had aligned with major labels. And there's just a lot of decisions being made that a lot of us didn't really agree with. Um, And at the time, Bruce was kind of separating from John. And it was like just a time of a lot of awkward growth and change within Sub Pop that I wasn't really into. So I left and it was funny because at the time I was like, well, the only, I like doing this, but I also like Seattle. The only other place I'd really consider living is New York. And the only other place that I'd really consider working is Matador. Right. And it just so happened that at the time that I left Sub Pop, um, Matador was looking for a publicist. So it, it, it aligned pretty well. And I already knew the people who ran Matador and most of the bands on Matador because they would, I dealt with Matador as a, when they started right. an account to buy records from my store, their bands would stay at my house when they, when I lived on Howell street, their bands yeah. would stay with me when they came to town. I, I had a connection with them and the bands already. So, yeah. um, so pretty quickly within like a month or two, I left sub hop and moved to New York to work for yeah. Matador doing the same thing, but at Matador. Nice. Just just happened to be a job at Matador. I was like, you just have synchronicity all over you. You're for like, sure. <laughs> yeah. Very, very I mean, yeah. I, I didn't know uh, much about that when I went to to work there, but um, but yeah, I mean, at the time it was like even like I had tried to sign um, the first Bell and Sebastian record to somehow or thought that you know it'd be great, and then. I went to Matter and they're like, and we're going to put out the first Bell and Sebastian record. I'm nice. Like, oh my God, great. <laughs> I love uh, that. Yeah. Um, and there's just a lot of stuff like that was um, all my favorite bands that weren't on Sub Pop or on yeah. Matador. You know, worked out great. Right. I mean, and so what do you think was it different? Like, what are the different things you learned like at Matador then? Like, because that's um, just a different company, a different label. Were yeah. there different? It was, it was quite similar where it was like okay. one guy who started it and brought on the other guy soon after, um, like with Sub Pop where Bruce started it and brought on John. And this was, uh, this guy, Chris started it and brought on Gerard who are, you know, equal partners, but, but, uh, you know, kind of two strong, different personalities running the label. There's a lot of similarities between Sub Pop and Matador. And, um, and also they both, had had different interactions with major labels, mm-hmm. which for me, having seen so many people we know, yourself included, having various experiences with major labels, <laughs> it was interesting to, I was kind of like, well, you know, what exactly is the involvement here? And, <laughs> and there was, Matador was good because at the time it was their deal with, um, I think when I started to work there, they had a deal with it, uh, Capital. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it was only for certain records, 
Okay. And they didn't have a controlling interest in label or anything like that. It was an indie label that had that partnered with this major label for certain projects. So that felt good yeah. to me. It was important for me to work for people and not yeah. a corporation and and for an indie label. I mean, I still it's funny because I'll talk to young people now about like uh you know, like licensing music as being, you know, selling out and and major labels and indie labels. And a lot of it, they don't even know the terminology. Yeah. Like selling out or, you know, corporate ogre or, you know, things like that. They're like, well, why wouldn't we? So, you know, right. we're empowered by licensing our music. It's like, but it's a commercial, you know, commercials are bad. You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, it's I, I, so I still have that, that, that thing about, you know, indies good, majors bad, um, selling out, not selling out, you know. It's so so it, it was good for me to work for an indie label that kind of shared that, that you know, maybe increasingly outdated um, philosophy. Yeah. Well, and I like that you say, like, you could be, you're with people. You know, yeah. and like, I feel like those enjoying the relationship is something you love, right? Like, and you really love the music and that makes for a natural relationship, which is yeah. more fun, right? More. Every band, you know, Matador, there has, well, three owners now, but who's a, a long time equal partner. But, you know, every band was signed by them. There's never been a, you know, there's not a, there wasn't an A&R department Signing okay. bands, the owners had no idea about, you know, everything was really um, steered by the people in charge. So there wasn't yeah. really a hierarchy because everybody was equally beloved by, you know, nobody yeah. was brought in from different places. And then your key person. Lost. Yeah. The owners. Well you know, I felt like the bands were quite well, you know, maybe some would disagree over time how their careers went, but at least they were cared about and cared for by the people who ran the company. I mean, that heart connection is huge and so rare, I think. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I'm not overly cynical. Uh, well, I mean, it's in the past, but um, I found you know, and we're all well versed in like the major label, like treatment or what can happen and happens to like so many bands, but like Hammerbox or goodness getting signed. It, it just like the scenario of like the A&R person was probably the person with the heart. Yeah. Maybe, right. Yeah. But often you get signed, they pitch you, they love you. And then, then you get in there and a month later they're fired. Right. Like. Right. And then you're, you know, when, so your, your career ends up being contingent on an employee, basically, on somebody who could be hired or fired on a whim. Yeah. So there's no, you have no anchor there, really. And contractually, you're not really protected. Yeah. And emotionally, you're not really. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's weird. You know, it's, it's a, it's, ultimately, it's a, a job. And that person might care for you with all their heart, but they're not responsible for whether they have a job or not. Right. And the stories that you're getting fed are heartfelt. I mean, you're fed stories. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, if I was really 
dark, I'd be like, oh, yeah, you're being lied to your face, like, because that's just what they say. But and that that was weird for me. Like, I was like, oh, there's a whole echelon of people who have no problem just lying to your face. Like, right. we're gonna And they know it or they're just so used to knowing it. They don't even know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think it's like it's, it's always things that people want to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And they want it to either be true or become true, or if they say it enough times, it will be true. Or if, you know, and, and so it's, I don't think they're lying. They're just, they're, they're saying, this is what I will work toward for mm. you. Nice. It's different from this is what's going to happen. It's like, what they're not saying is that I'm going to work for it, but it's going to be really fucking hard. You yeah. know, they're saying like, I am here for you. I'm going to do this for you. And I guarantee that I will never stop pushing for you, which is yeah. probably true. It just at some point they can push all day long and it doesn't matter. There's other things that the company is, is, uh, is caring about. And, you know, one thing at Matador, they never dropped bands until later. And then they started dropping bands. And I remember thinking, okay. of course they should drop. I mean, every, you know, it, it, it a lot of times it's, it's better for the bands. It's better for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, but, but I just thought that was crazy. Like, no, they're family. You can't drop anybody ever. And I mean, they're begging to be dropped. And I'm like, no, that's wrong. You know, it's like, but, um, you know, it's like, obviously there's, 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 uh, transitions and there's things that are, you know, that, need to happen that are better for the band better for the label whatever but yeah. it just always in my mind at least it, it it should everybody should at least be emotionally connected in some yeah. way and care about the band or at least know about the band and have some you know emotional right. response to the music and whatever and i know it's obviously i know all of this shit inside and out but it mm -hmm. i just think in major labels that isn't it isn't there's so many things they can do for you and resources they can provide, but you can't ever get that assurance that yes. you are somebody who as a person and musically, everybody there really cares about. Yeah. And it, it is like that at a lot of indie labels. They really do care about the people in the music that much. Yeah. I think that was hard. Um, it, like with Hammerbox, just being the first time you went from having controlled the build of what you've done. So you've gotten you knew you had your hands on things and you built to then not being able to know what was going on at all. Like because then you had there was so many people like you had managers, the A&R person, whoever was at the I mean, and, and people who were just farther away. So I think what yeah. I found hard was like. I don't even know what's going on and I cannot seem to get the truth. And so let, just completely like loss of control. Right. Right. And you don't even know who to ask at some point. Maybe yeah. everything about the career starts to revolve around radio and right. then radio people are spread out around the country. And so it's like, well, what about, is there a way to have a career that isn't about radio? You know, can we talk about that? Can we talk about something, you know, but it, then it becomes about a and about production and a certain type of production and all these things that you're not thinking about in your previous incarnation, but now you're being told things that you have to think about. And it, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's a, you know, it's a story oldest time, the major label, know. you know, thing, but, uh, 
but it's, I don't know, it, it, it's interesting. And also just that idea of the power changing hands that yeah. you're kind of creating something that they want, but then once they have it, they don't want your oh my God. creativeness anymore. They want I mean, how crazy be, is that? Like, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't make like, any sense, but, didn't we do good before? Isn't that why you like us? No? <laughs> well, think psychologically that, I mean, think about how much that messes with you because all you are is yourself and your art, right? Like, or whatever music you're making, right, like that, yeah. this is me. You're telling me I'm not good or you're telling me the fact is yeah. I'm not good. <laughs> right. And not only that, you're, and if I say, well, you know, sorry, I'm also a creative person and I disagree. So let's go our mutual ways. You don't have that option. They do. You don't. Right. You know, it's that fundamental thing with record contracts where they have the option. The band doesn't have the option. So yeah. it's, you know, it, that's a weird thing, too, where you can't mutually say, wow, you know, how interesting this creative partnership has been. And now it is time to move on. You know, yeah. you don't necessarily have that freedom. I um, you bring up a really good point too. like the thing that would make me the most angry is um, having no one, nobody I thought was smart to work with. Like you couldn't even you could get in the relationship of like brainstorming, like because you're right, there was inflexible idea of like how it all goes. So there was no use of the intelligence that way. Um, yeah. And then I just never saw anybody working on our stuff that I, I was like was smart. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh God, our our stuff is in the hands of idiots. Like, <laughs> right. Oh my God. And, and you, to, you know, you, you don't have the option to say like, you know, no offense, but I think these people are idiots and I have a lot of ideas, but no, none. You know, that's not really, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's that thing where like you're, you're, you have so much freedom and power going into forming a band and creating something creative and i'm sure it's the same for filmmakers and fashion designers and visual artists and anybody else and then once it you enter into a partnership with a corporation and you know obviously right. there's there's uh other people to placate well i can't remember if you and i ever talked about like so when goodness when when i put goodness together and we did the same cycle because you could at the time right like play get an audience you know look to get signed and what i thought was funny is the uh, um, what was his name? Oh my God, I'm forgetting his name. The same guy was the A and R guy who wanted to sign Hammerbox to um, Atlantic at the time because mm -hmm. Danny Goldberg had just started, and he was like, "I don't even know who you are," and we're like, "Yeah, we're not going here." Um, uh, he came around and was working for Jason Flom at Lava Atlantic, right? And and ended up signing Goodness, and so I thought that was a crazy synchronicity, but um. But the thing that, that would come up for me and it came up kind of in Hammerbox or whatever is like I had the kind of voice that could go a lot of different way. Right. Like it could go, could go very commercial. And with Lava Atlantic, it was so brutal because we got signed. We recorded that second record twice. So basically we had John Goodmanson record it because that was our guy who did our sound that we wanted. They said that wasn't good enough. That's a whole fucking record. Yeah. And so we had to get a whole nother producer um, who was Ted Nicely, who was great. He really was nicely. Um, much cleaner, tighter sound because they have an idea of what the right sound is. Only to come around. And I've told this story many times, but Jason Flom came to town and said uh, to have dinner with the band and said, hey, Carrie, come. Uh, I got to go see this band. Come with me and then we'll go to 
meet up with the band. And I was like, okay. I get in the band and not five minutes into the ride, he's like, we don't, he, this is what he literally said. We don't give two shits about the band. We just want to do a record with you. And then he literally went on to disparage every single band member. Like that person's fucking useless. Blah, 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 blah. He's replaceable. And we just want to do a record with you. Wow. <laughs> like that was a gift. And Incredible. I mean, right. Right. So, that, he's, that he's complimenting you by saying that the people that you've created a family with are horrible. Oh yeah. Not worth it. Like that. Yeah. And it was so later. It's only, I swear to God, Nelson, it's only like in the last few years that people have pointed out other things like, okay, so he isolated you insulted your right. whole band, which was your work. Right. And thought, and basically thought you were stupid enough to think, yay. And oh, it gets yeah. better. Then I had to walk into a dinner and look at all my bandmates and he put me in that position. And I was like, so there's been times where I think in my heart, I've been like, oh, do I regret not getting to make a solo record? But I was like, um, I've had great friends who've been like, no, you, it's hard to have your heart in the right place and say, fuck no, like morally decide, yeah. go. Because yeah. in my mind, I literally, when he said, I want to make a record with you, of course I got excited. But yeah. the, then he went on and, I, and my instant thought was, if you're if you can so easily do this to the, my band, what will you do to me when I fail? Absolutely. Right. Right. And when so I didn't. When you're, quote unquote, useless to them or him yes. or whatever. Um, I just think it, it's such a wild um, thing for an A&R person to think that someone who's in a band with other people would be so ready to dismiss them. Right. And it might be an idea of like a female singer in a mostly male band or whatever it is that that he's imagining some natural separation between you and the band. But it's what a weird way to work with bands that you think the singers have no emotional connection to people that they've created this thing with. It's such a yeah, uh, a weird idea. I mean, you know, you might eventually want to understand if the singer has frustrations that they're afraid to voice or whatever, but you know, the band has to take the lead on things like that. Like it's, yeah. you know, if you had said like, I don't know if this is something that would interest you, but eventually I would love to explore what I could do without a band and do something solo that, and they were interested then maybe that's fine. But, but to introduce yeah. that concept by fact that your bandmates are useless it's, it's oh just it's so dark yeah, it's i offensive. think i was so shocked yeah. uh, what what's that ryan so it's offensive <laughs> you know oh god yeah. well and i was so shocked yeah, that I, I, really, really but i mean it's it's manipulative it's again, gaslighting else? it's abuse yeah well it's it's abusive yes. really it's 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 manipulative it's gaslighting it's it's um it's putting you in a situation that you should never be in. It, it, it's, uh, it's really evil. And I can, you can see in a, in a way where, like, where he might be thinking that he's doing you a favor, but it just shows such a lack of understanding about bands and humans. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I think I was so shocked that I, I didn't, instantly go well oh i just didn't oh, 
for good reasons, right? But I didn't go, well, I'm willing to do that, but we got to tour on this record first, like let it not go to waste. And then, yeah, I'm happy to make a solo record. Yeah. But I really did at that point think, Jesus Christ, your behavior. Like if uh, uh, my, my character judgment was like, you will do this to me as well. So am I going to literally burn down the house with these people I've known for, you know what I mean? Like right, friends right. in order to go do this and then be dumped somewhere like in New York or LA or uh, that seems scarier oh, to me. Yeah. And it, you know, funny too, what I always think about with your career is that it's not like, you know, they, people who maybe weren't in Seattle or who have a peripheral knowledge of your bands think that it kind of was something very fast, you know, something that was about to happen and then didn't happen on major labels. They forget that with, with Hammerbox and Goodness, those bands had huge followings in the Northwest and, you know, did put out records on small labels first, had huge followings with very well-received records. You know, it wasn't like a band that like formed, tried to get signed, didn't have a hit and broke up. You know, it was, it was, it's really the, you did everything right, you know, um, left to your own devices, everybody in both bands, you guys did great. Right. Thank you. So, you know, it's like, it's really when it, it went into other people's hands who weren't part of this kind of nice inner circle of sorts that we had that things went a little awry. So it's, you know, it really was both of those bands are huge success stories. The, the only lack of success was on the part of certain labels, not on the part of either band. Yeah. And that's what I find a, a shame. Right. But I think that's part of being in the music industry is you could make something great. And it, in the, in the name of something that's not within your control, you don't get the like forward movement success, right? Like it's not, yeah. it's not about even maybe the artist or the art, it's the circumstance within the business and all that. Because I remember, I mean, Jason Flom's got a rep too of not being the most sensitive guy. And he went on to head Warner Brothers, didn't he? So to me, right. I was like, what, maybe I need to wake up a little bit more to like, this is who the industry celebrates and hires and keeps around and he's and he's like this that really stuck in my head maybe is that story you know maybe he tells this story in a in a similar way he's like well i tried to do a solo record with her and they would have been huge but she was too you know uh, locked in her old ways to be willing to you know it from his perspective it might have been a very you know brilliant commercial move to try to get you to do a solo record so it's (laughs) You have to, like, you know, I, I, I have written a couple cookbooks with chefs and hope to do more. And I always tell them, I'm like, you know, you, there's things that the, a, a publisher or an agent or somebody might say makes a great book, but it's your book, it's your name, and it's your words. Like, you have to stand by it. It can't, you know, there's... Right. There's a difference between something. Both people can be right. Something can be a huge success yes. and you can be really unhappy with it. So he's right. Maybe that is, you know, what yeah. you need to do to have a top 40 hit is to put out a solo record with him on Lava or whatever. But I don't believe that to be true. Yeah. But but um, but that that's not what makes a person happy. And it's not what you would want to have your, you wouldn't want, it's like, I'm so glad I have that top 40 hit that, made me a pariah in my community that treated everybody like shit that, you know, 
isn't true to who I am. You know, you don't, there, there has to be a balance between commercial success and some sort of integrity. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, and I think you're right. I think Jason thought um, he had said like, Oh, my wife and I think you're like the best, like, pop voice in the name, you know, whatever, like your voice is, you know, so yeah, he really was like, I think you're great. I want to do this. Um, and I look back at like stuff, uh, at the time too, like I went and did solo stuff and I remember sending him things and him going, Oh, this isn't up to snuff, like home sold 10,000 records like alone. And so, but like you're saying, I think for him, it's like, no, this is how this is, like a tattoo artist, a tattoo artist isn't going to go, it's going to tell you what they do well. Right. Right. So I would say like Lava Atlantic does this kind of thing. Well, that's what they know how to do really well and how to deal in business. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think, you know, his delivery, I think was God awful, but I agree. I think in his eyes, what, what artists want, whatever field they're in is success. And yes. that's not always exactly true. You want success balance with the type of life that you want, the type of success you want, and the type of art you want to make. Yeah. And that, that combination of things that the artist wants or needs is going to be different from the linear, you know, striving toward a level of commercial success that allows that person to put a check mark in their, in their yeah. book that they did a good job. And, uh, you know, you have, to, yeah. you have to find that. Well, and it's funny. You're right. Those are at the time, like the markers of success, right? Like this shows that I did a good job because I sold a bunch of records. But I also think if someone has a knowledge of what that successful life looks like, that's good to know as well. Like, because everyone, you know, you don't yeah. like kind of mind, can mindlessly go like, yeah, that's what I'm shooting for. And I'm like, well, do you know what that really entails in the end? I mean, just that's a lot of time on the road. You've got a hit. You better have another one. Now we're talking about longevity. Like that's, you can get really isolated. Who's around? La, la, la. Oh yeah. You know, you're gonna, there's, yeah, you're gonna, you know, lose your, your relationship and you're going to, you know, live somewhere you don't like and your parents getting older and you're not going to see them for five years and you're, doctor, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, there's a million things that right. you have to do to, you know, create a happy life. But you don't always have, have to do with you know yeah. commercial success in your in your your work or art yeah it's like knowing the job like time. do you know what the, yeah. yes you yeah, like, here. You, now, friends, you know and you want to say okay this is who i am this is what i want to put into the world and this is what is going to make me happy on a daily basis you know and for you it's not you like performing but you don't like being on tour for two years in a row and being in a bar every night Mm-mm. And that's fine. No. You don't have to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I feel proud of, I mean, that's, that's the most, I think the best you can do for yourself is to do what you want to do and do it to your best ability. And that's winning. You know what I mean? Like I love, I love everything I've gotten to be a part of. I like that I can do music when I want to utilize that art form and I do it for reasons I know that are personal. And that's a lovely exchange with that art form. And and you've been able to carry music throughout your life. You don't hate it. You still have relationships with people Mm -hmm. you made music with. It's not, it's not a, it's not like, I know so many people who have such negative experiences with music 
that they've left it behind. It's like, no, you're a musician. Don't leave it behind. Like, it, you know, it shouldn't be that. And you haven't done that. You don't have, you know, you don't have that, that sourness around making music. You can go to it when you need to, you have that community around you and, uh, and the music you've made still exists, you know, it's still something, uh, it's, uh, it's something you're able to, to carry with you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and I, I mean, I took, well, and like anybody kind of on their path through life, trying to figure out what's next. Like I, I did have to take a few years and go, do you remember why you want to do this? Like you need your why. And if you don't have it, that's fine. Then don't do it. But if you're going to do music, cause I think there, there came a natural stop of, you know, when you're just really busy doing it where I, ha I don't think I had stopped to ask myself, like, how are you doing? What do you think? Yeah. Um, especially when the kind of when the uh, the getting signed and things like that end or that 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 direction of success, you know, you're like, well, from here on out, you may be do probably be doing music not for um, financial success. It'll be just for music. How do you feel about that? Do you still want to do it? And yeah. why? The why was the big one for me. Yeah. Um, and literally just the like the the. I love to sing. It feels good. I like to write and I love, I like the communion. Like right. I want to write stories that are mine that resonate with other people. And even if it's just for one evening um, where I, I'm, I'm just, I'm proud of my body of work. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just mine. I, and yeah. I feel like that's winning. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. But you know, that's a, it's a wild, like, you know, I think people listening might be, you know, you know, I ask myself why, like you, you hear that a lot, that phrase, but it's really powerful. Like imagine asking everybody like, Oh, what do you do? You know, Oh, I'm a, you know, accountant. Why? Mm -hmm. You know, why do you, I don't, you know, like, uh, mm -hmm. Oh, I live in Las Vegas. Why? Like, it's such a, a wild question that people never ask of themselves, especially around art they make or work that they do. And, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a powerful thing to ask of another person and to ask of yourself. For sure. And it's a, probably a, a hard thing to answer. I don't know. Well, I think sometimes it has to be uh, disentangled. Is that the word? <laughs> um, untangled from a, a hit, like historical things or your pain mm -hmm. or your regrets. I mean, you really have to disentangle it from a lot of stuff um, yeah. or you're just going to linger in it and then kind of just be sad and bitter all the time. And I just, I don't want that. I don't want to, I don't want that. <laughs> you know, I think people who are, who are really happy, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, usually the why has to do with, well, I've always done it and I need money. It's how I make money. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's like, okay, well, exactly. what if you didn't always do it? And what if you didn't need the money? Then what would you do? What if you take those two things out of it, then why do you do it? What if it isn't for money or because it's right. just the thing you know how to do, then what, what, what would it be? And, you know, I don't know. They're hard. Exactly. And sometimes you just need to make money. You have to do Yeah. Do. We're getting a lag. If yeah. that's those real stupid reasons, then what um you know, what, what would the answers be if money was out of the, 
dictionary. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Am I? I think it's lagging. You guys are okay. I don't know if it's if I am on yours. Uh, yeah, we can hear you, but it's your video is chopping up a little bit. I don't know if it might be. If you want to turn off your video, it sometimes fixes the speeds it up a little. But. Oh, okay. I could do that. Um, Does it? Oh, wow. Sometimes it helps. I did Does not that know help? that. Hey, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, but now I'm sad I can't see you. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's that. Hey, so I want to oh, ask no. you. Um, You'll what? Is it lagging again? Maybe just I mean, it might have been lagging again. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. It was a little distorted, okay. but I think it's okay. Right now. Hey, so. Okay. Hey, so Nils, talk to me about cooking, the cookbooks, and all, because you've always, as again, always remember mm -hmm. you like having, especially at Howell Street, like cooking food and having people over. And I noticed, like, I guess in the last 10 years, I was like, oh, you're doing, what are you doing with the cooking? Like, what? Like, so you just yeah, mentioned yeah. you were like, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, it's like with music, I, I was, you know, I started going to like, you know, punk rock shows, whatever, when I was 11, like it just was what I was always into. And so I kind of made it a job. So with food, it was kind of the same thing. Like, you know, obviously I was always into doing it and would always remember, like I, I catered like Susie Tennant and Chris Swenson's wedding and Mark Arm's wedding. And, um, yeah. And I would do like record release parties and things and obviously dinner parties and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. uh, so, you know, over time it was like, well, I don't know. I used to write about music. I could write about food and it just, you know, I kind of, kind of slowly merged into the kind of food and drink world because it was what I was really passionate about and knew about. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just started, um, writing and um and that led to other things and yeah it's been good i've done written for a lot of yeah you know food editor at wine enthusiasts now and write for a lot of other outlets and have done a couple cookbooks and working on more and it's just uh to me it's really the same kind of thing it's just like, well i really like it and what is the thing that i can do around it you know what's the thing that i have to offer like the music, well, I can't play it. So, I mean, you know, I can play the clarinet, so that's not. But, um, so what can I do that's helpful, you know, that can, that can put out good, that yeah. can promote good things and make this happen? And with food, it's kind of the same way. Well, at least I can put forth, like, you know, useful, positive information about places and people and products and recipes and places and whatever that, that, should be known about and talked about and promoted and so i don't know it's uh and also yeah. you know the style and for me the food lifestyle is better at this age than the music lifestyle <laughs> that's understandable yeah i mean if he doesn't yes. like food if yes. you get paid amen to do food i totally get that yeah. i mean basically if, if shows were at six o'clock in the evening i'd still do music you know it's like mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> 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 but, uh, oh my god that's absolutely true <laughs> so it, uh, well, i feel, it, I feel it, like you've been go ahead i i feel 
I feel like you've been really good. Um, I just, ha- you've been, I mean, my hat's off to you. You've been really good about following like your interests and like, yeah. And that makes sense. Like when you say, okay, I, I loved music. I support it in this way. How can, you know, I get, I get this close to it and I love um, food and making food and, and just that whole, the science of, I don't know, that's the science of it all, the deliciousness of it all. Um, and mm. then I'll, I mean, some people just never figure out like to follow what they love. And I feel like you do. Yeah, that. And I, I also think people are, are um, cause sometimes, you know, what you love just doesn't work for in terms of um, mm-hmm. being able to make a living or how you can spend your time. But I think it's, you know, change is the thing that people are really reluctant to make. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are you? Um, and that's the thing. I think, you know, the idea, like, do what you love. You know, people can find it or learn to love what they do. Sometimes it goes in that order. You do something and later learn to love it. But what 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 I have been proud of, I guess, is um, is being able to make a change at relatively late in life to move from a very established career in music to start doing food and to make that kind of... Uh, that change and make a break. So I'm still doing something I really love. It was a change from what it would have been very easy to stay in music forever without loving it. And so I've been glad to be Mm -hmm. able to move something that I love. And it's not like I'm certainly not making uh, a lot of money doing it, but I have freedom Mm -hmm. and it's what I like. And I'll figure out a way to and I'll live on the street. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's hard um, to put a price on. Like if you're if you're happy, you're enjoying yeah, it. You know, it's true. It's yeah, yeah. And I would rather just figure out, you know, some way to make the money work that's independent of, I, you know, I uh, I don't want to work just for a paycheck, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's making that kind of um, that kind of shift in. I don't just want to say it's a career shift, but just like how do I want to spend my days. Um, yes. And, and it's, you know, yes. hard financially, but that's like, you know, with you doing the coaching and it's, it's inspiring because it's like, you know, what do I have to offer and how can I make it mm-hmm. real instead of just talking about it, you know? And it, uh, yes, it's great. Well, and I really just needed to, I mean, I can't even tell you how much I needed to hear. You're like, I don't want to just make a paycheck because, you know, for 15 years, I I somehow drifted into like IT project management, right? And that's because mm-hmm. I, 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 frankly, at, at the start of it, I was like, I just want to go somewhere with structure. Um, and then, you know, I got married, had a kid. And so it was sort of like the job has structure and money. Um, but in the last like three years, I'm like, oh, God, I can't do it anymore. I, and I need to do something that feels true to me. Um, and even today, like I'm just at the start of this business, right? It's, it's uh, hard to not know everything what's coming and it's easy to then want to falter back into a paycheck. Yeah. Um, and you know, I still get things from people like our LinkedIn going like, there's this project management thing. And I'm like, well, maybe that would be yeah. good. And my, my whole gut is like, no. <laughs> and there is, you know, there is a certain, but money, that takes- a certain amount of choice 
and choice gives you a certain amount of freedom. So there is something to be said for money. It just feel like as we get a little bit older, it's like, man, you know, like if we're going to start winding down soon, like, you know, what do I really want to be doing day to day? And I can, you know, somehow the money will work, you know, I can, you know, whatever, but, but yeah. I'd rather, like it, it's that thing where like, if you're ever going to, it's like people who say they're going to quit smoking for 40 years. And it's like, just stop saying you're going to quit. Smoking. <laughs> Fine. Just smoke. Mm-hmm. You know, just and then quit one day. Yeah. But it's a thing like at some point, if you're if you're thinking in terms of wanting to make a change or or just wanting the change to be not where you are, you got to do something toward that mm-hmm. goal, something, anything. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And frankly, that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. You know, like my hat's yeah, off to people so. yeah. to to. I mean, just step out and then go, I will figure it out. Like that's engagement. Like you're going to engage and build and to know or believe that that's possible. Yeah. Right. Like you may have to adjust your idea of what you need. um, And that gets very deep and very, I mean, that gets real deep and it's a paradigm shift for a lot of people. That's a huge one for me. And that to me, like. Go ahead. You, you're up. No, tell me what you're going to say. Oh, I was going to say, you know, I, I grew up. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Are we, I think we got a little delay. But... We got like a mutual lag. <laughs> so I'm going to be quiet and you're going to speak. Okay. Um, well, I was just going to say that's like the core of my coaching. Like the subject matter wise, I'm all about like the things that happen at quote unquote midlife, like this moment or these kind of thoughts um, and helping people because people come to me sort of like something's not working. I don't know what to do. And and I'm often like, just so you know, this work is going to be a lot deeper than you think you're going to, you know, it's going to actually require a lot of different ways of thinking. Are you ready, ready for that? Like, (laughs) and and so, you know, like, like, yeah. The, and the I, I tend to like, I, right, right. Well, the, the deeper questions are more interesting to me because it's really about your life and being happy. That's the goal. Like our purpose on this planet is not to acquire and do and whatever. It's, it's about love and happiness and exchange. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I got a, a time on the planet, how am I going to use it? Who, what do my exchanges look like? Um, and for me doing this, I just really needed to go back to owning my own world. And I, I want the source of my work to be derived from me and whatever my purpose is. I think the, the idea of figuring out like what you, you know, what you really need is, a, is a, a, a major mind shift for a lot of people because they spend so much time doing something that maybe they don't love because it's working towards something they believe they need, but you don't necessarily need it. And I, you know, I grew up quite... ...that I was poor because we had a nice house and, and did a lot of cool things. But 
you know, we didn't have money. There was no income or anything. And, uh, and so to me, having a place to live, they own is huge. Like if I own an apartment, that's, I'm rich. Then I'm getting I want. Right. Outright is the peak of wealth, you know? So it's, but it's, a lot of people have a misguided what, not just what they want, but what they need. And, uh, and so they're, they're, they're working toward it. They don't even know what the goal is. Right. Right. Well, I, and I, you're so right. Like what, what do I need? Like, and, and look at the things you can have, like a place in New York and you have a place in Mexico. Like there's, it's just where you funnel, oh, yeah. um, w- one, what you pick your heart really wants, and you can have stuff and you know what I mean? You could do it a lot of different ways. Yeah. It's like, it's not. Yeah. And it, that, you can do it a lot of different ways. Right? Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of hustling. It's a lot of like, you know, doing this on the side and renting this and selling that and pimping this out and trying to do that. And, and. You know, it's not, it's, it's a full-time job to get through month to month financially, but, but it's the, but it's the, it's that freedom that I want, you know, to me, the time is freedom and time that's my ass is freedom. And it's, yeah. And that is sweet. <laughs> no, it's incredible. It's great. Is, hey, Ryan, are we okay? Because now I'm getting a bit of lag on yeah. my side. Do we want to like log out and log in again? Or uh, We could give that a try. Yeah, it's getting a little choppy. So, yeah, let me uh, stop and we can start and restop. Or... Well, listen, we're like, you have to go at 1245. Oh, yeah. I'm... I wasn't tracking the time. Yeah. Yeah, I might part two this, Nels. I might just call you again and be like, Ooh, Shit, can that. we continue this? <laughs> okay. I would love to part okay. two it. And move into, you know, it's, I mean, I love talking about old Seattle shit and whatever, but I really like talking about, we're both in this very pivotal time in our lives and talking about this yeah. kind of moment of change and how to move forward. It's, you know, it's, yes. and, and what, what does that look like? Like, what is a, a life in your 50s and 60s? What does that look like now? I don't know. It's interesting to yeah. me. It's to me, it's I a want that endlessly fascinating conversation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm, I'm getting shivers again. I'm totally getting shivers again because I was like, yes, we could, we will we will do this again. We'll get together and uh, figure out the time and not too far away um, because I'm loving yeah, this. Great. No, I would love it. It was so fun yeah. to see you and talk to you. I feel really inspired talking to you, so I, I really want to do it again just for my own edification. So let's do it. Great. Yeah. And you know what? We should just get on the phone, too, you and I as well. I'll, I'll get a hold sure. of you. I'll call you. Um, I just love you so Great. much. Yeah. I, I really just love you. you. I'm so happy to be talking to you. All right. Let's do it again soon. Me too. Okay, loves. Yeah, thanks. All right. See you later. All right, bye.